Well, we welcome you to the June 14th podcast from Historic San Philip United Methodist Church. As we begin, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us through uh, this week safely. And uh, we pray that uh, you would uh, just uh, give us traveling mercies as we travel this weekend and others that uh, we love that are traveling. We pray, Lord, that you'll watch over them. We pray you just dispatch your angels to keep us safe from all harm. We thank you for our daily bread and for keeping a roof over our heads and for keeping us safe in so many ways. May you continue to mend broken hearts and restore relationships. May you give joy, peace, healing, and blessing to all who are in need, we pray. We continue to thank you for the blood covering of our Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you brought your Bibles or if you have your Bibles with you at this time, I invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew as we read Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, this particular passage here in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, describes a situation that's a lot like ours today here in the United States. It also tells us how Jesus responded to that situation. And as we look at uh, the situation that Jesus faced in light of our own, it becomes very clear that the Lord expects four things from us right now. So let's look at them. First of all, there is the need among the people. It says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The people had leaders, but the leaders were concerned about their own positions and not about the people that the Lord had entrusted to them. They were fleecing the flock instead of tending the sheep. And because of that, the people were harassed and helpless. They needed a shepherd. People without Christ are like sheep without a shepherd. They'll soon run out of pasture and starve, or they'll get lost, or they'll get caught in a thicket and die. In the meantime, they're harassed, wearied, and helpless. Now, the unbelievers you know may not seem to fit that description, but if you could see them with the eyes of Christ and not be misled 
by their shells of self-assurance, you'd recognize sheep who desperately need a shepherd. I did some research this last week and tried to find the most current data I could on Christianity in Texas. Uh, the most recent was from 2017, and that report shows in Texas about 54% of our population claims to be Christian. That leaves a full 46% of our fellow Texans without Christ. Now see, there is the need, people. No matter how good or bad, these people are not saved. They cannot know the ultimate meaning of life. They cannot have a purified, clean conscience before God. Without Christ, they have no hope of eternal life, and they cannot know that peace that only comes from Him and have His power with them in this life so they can have confidence in this life. He looked on the people, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Second notice in verse 36 that Jesus had compassion on them. Now that word literally means to be moved in one's stomach with pity. It's the last, well, let me ask you this. When's the last time you felt really strong pity from someone or for someone? When you see rioters and looters on TV, do you feel compassion for them? I've now come to the place where I do. I see people who are ensnared by Satan uh, and so ensnared by him that they're doing his work. Do you remember what Jesus said? The thief comes but to kill and to steal and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. These people that you see looting and stealing and uh, doing other destructive things, they're looking for something. They're frustrated because they haven't found it anywhere they've looked. They're only going to find it one place, and that's at the feet of Jesus. I'm moved to compassion nowadays when I see people involved in all this LGBTQ stuff because they've been blinded by the enemy and they have no shepherd. And without him, sadly, they're going to perish. When I see people addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, food, or what have you, it moves me to compassion because I know the enemy has them in bondage. When I see people caught up in the pornographic industry or the sex trade, I'm moved with compassion. When I see gang members, I'm moved to compassion. They are all lost sheep who have been victimized and ensnared by the devil himself, and unless they are brought into the good shepherd's fold, they'll just continue on with Satan, misled, and at the same time, misleading others. Now, I'm not saying that they're not accountable for their actions, that they're not uh, to be resisted, or that they should not be held responsible for any wrongdoing. Knowing the cause of someone's actions doesn't excuse them of their actions or make them less damaging to themselves or to others. They need a shepherd. When I was a teen, I came across a muskrat caught 
in a spring trap. And every time I tried to approach it to help it out of the trap, it would lunge at me violently and, and it would try to bite me with its sharp teeth. And every time it did that, it injured itself more and more severely. Now, I wasn't the problem. I was trying to help. The trap was the problem. I was the solution, but he'd have none of me. It didn't understand where its help could come from. It saw me as a threat instead of a solution. Now, every time I find myself inwardly recoiling and my defenses going up, I realize, yes, there is danger here. The enemy is at work and his delight is to kill and steal and destroy. And he's busy right now in that person. But there is also a person here that the Lord wants to redeem, that the Lord wants to pull away from all the pain and, and all the different things that that person is involved in and bring them to his fold. Now, you see, this is our need. Our need is to feel compassion because of their need. Our need is to care and love like Jesus did. Now, we need to be honest and admit that this sort of compassion doesn't come to us naturally. It is a work of grace in our hearts, and for that reason, it's the product not of works, but of prayer. He saw the crowds, and he had compassion for them. But next, notice that Jesus saw potential. He looked on a sad situation, and he saw potential. Not just a need found and a compassion felt, but now a potential seen. In verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. And notice right here that the metaphor changes. Unbelievers are not only like sheep who are in trouble, they're also like wheat that can be harvested. There's not only need, there is potential for salvation. And if we need the eyes of Christ to see the lostness of people and the compassion of Christ to feel pity for people, then we need just as much the expectancy and hopefulness of Jesus that anticipates harvest time. Let me ask you this. Do you look upon your lost neighbors and colleagues and classmates and associates with the lively sense that there is a potential saint here? It has probably been so long since the Lord has used most of us to lead a person from unbelief to faith that we really wonder if there's any potential left. Well, let me tell you, there is. We still know from Scripture that there is terrible spiritual need. We still feel some compassion when we let ourselves think about it. But potential? Maybe we wonder, could it ever be harvest time in my life after so many years of fruitlessness? And look at those people. They would have nothing to do with the Lord. They're looking at other places. Is it possible there could be a harvest here? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. 
When Jesus said that it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom, the disciples responded, then who can be saved? And Jesus seemed at that point to have taken away all the potential for harvest. But actually, what he was doing was he was laying a new basis for potential. And we need to see that basis. He answers, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It is possible. It may be impossible for us, yes, but we're not supposed to be looking at what's possible for us. We're to be looking at what's possible for God. Now let's admit it, the harvest we can see before us today is impossible with men. But you see, new, new birth is a miracle. Our goal is to see God do the impossible through failures like us. That is the way it has happened in history, and that is how it will happen again. In God's time, he will perform the miracle of the harvest. And let me tell you, it's going to be marvelous to our eyes. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses. Then you will be the harvesters. And that leads us to the fourth and final observation today. Not only did Jesus find a great need among the people and feel compassion and see a potential harvest, he commanded us to pray that harvest in. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, there's a strangeness in this command if you really pay attention to it. But let me tell you, this strangeness points to something extremely important. Now tell me this, don't you think it's strange that the farmhands are told to beg the owner of the farm to send out more workers into his harvest? Doesn't that seem strange when you think about it? Surely Jesus doesn't mean to imply that God doesn't know there's a shortage of reapers. And surely he doesn't mean that God doesn't care whether the harvest comes in. You know he does. Why then are the farmhands told to beg the farmer to get more help? Well, let me give you the answer. God has willed, and we see this all through history. He has willed that his miraculous work of harvesting be preceded by prayer. He loves to bless the world, but even more, he loves to bless the world in answer to prayer. It's his way of operating. It is God's way, before he does a great work, to pour a spirit of supplication and prayer upon his people so that they plead for the work. Therefore, the sign that God is going to bring in the harvest in our country will be a widespread movement of prayer among his people. Now, where do you think that move should start? 
I think it should start with me, and I think it should start with you. I think that's what he's calling us to this day. So we see four things. First, there's a great need in the United States, just as there was in Palestine. People without faith in Christ are like sheep without a shepherd, no matter how goal-oriented and self-assured they may seem. Second, we have a need of compassion for these people. We need to feel compassion for them, compassion that moves us to earnestly yearn for their salvation, for their eternal welfare and well-being. Third, we need to see the potential of conversion. It is their people. We must look not to our failures and incompetencies and not look on them with a hardness of our own heart. The harvest, yes, is impossible with men. The potential all lies with God. But you have got to start, I have got to start seeing that potential before we can even begin to pray. What is impossible with men is possible with God. With God, helpless sheep become a plentiful harvest. The last part, therefore, we must pray to the Lord of the harvest. When we see the lostness of men with the compassion and faith of Jesus, it turns into a potential harvest to be reaped by prayer. I want to close by sharing a story with you about a young man we'll call Chip. Chip was an alcoholic in a small town many years ago, and I was his pastor. His mother was one of the historic pillars of the community, and he was, she was also a backbone of our church. Now, she was a proud woman, and she had things to be proud about. Her family heritage went way back in the history of Texas, and it went way back in the history of the United Methodist Church. And her family had wealth. She was also, though, a very godly woman who loved her son deeply. Chip lost his job due to his drinking, and he was at home all day, every day, just in a fog. And his mother was at a loss as to what to do. Rehab had not worked. Griping at him hadn't worked. She prayed for him daily. She was heartbroken, grievously hurt, and she was just feeling helpless and hopeless. Now, I made it a practice to go by and visit with Chip from time to time, and we began to play chess during our visits, and a friendship developed between us, and while we visited, we would talk about the things of the Lord, and we'd talk about where Chip was in all this, and Chip knew what he needed to do, and we had a mutual respect for each other, but Chip just didn't want at that time to make the move that he knew he had to, he had to make if he was going to break out of this fog and this funk that he was in. Whenever we played chess, I'd always win, and he'd make it clear every time that if he ever sobered up, he'd beat me. 
But then we had a missions conference. It was kind of like a revival. On the last night of the conference, at the close of the last service, the missionary who was speaking invited people to come forward for prayer. And he explained that whenever he was a missionary in Africa, that some people, sometimes people would come and they would kneel in proxy for in place of a loved one who couldn't or would not come for prayer. And so he opened up the altar for anyone that wanted prayer for healing, prayer for salvation, uh, prayer for help in any other way, or if anyone wanted to come and kneel in place of someone that they loved, they were invited to come. And then we waited, and it was still, and it was silent, and nobody moved. And then all of a sudden, in the back of the room, toward one side, the stately older lady got up from her pew, stepped into the aisle, and walked forward. And as she knelt in the center of the altar area for prayer, she said in a voice that could be heard throughout the entire building, I want to kneel here in place of my alcoholic son. At that moment, you could feel the Holy Spirit just move like electricity through the building. All of a sudden, God came into that place in a way he hadn't been before. And as the missionary laid hands on her and began to pray for her, pray for her son as, and laid his hands on her in proxy for him. Other people got up and started to come forward. And other people knelt. And people wept. And people cried out for God's forgiveness. And people were saved. And people were healed of spiritual illnesses and physical illnesses. And a mighty move of God happened at the altar that night. It took a woman being willing to kneel in prayer for revival to start. That's the way it began there. And all through the centuries, as we look back, we see that this is the way that prayer begins. In fact, the Lord just flat said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I think that that's one of the things that's been missing in our country is humility. Humility on the part of those who know that they're right. Having compassion and praying for those who are like lost sheep. Until we will humble ourselves and can earnestly pray for the Lord of the harvest, 
He can't do his work. And he wants to do his work. And so, I, oh, I need to let you know one more thing. Several weeks later, I went into the drugstore and there sitting in the coffee area was a group of people and in the midst of them was Chip. And Chip was all cleaned up, clean and sober. Chip had a job. Chip was doing just fine, thank you. We visited and we rejoiced over how well he was doing. And as I was leaving, he said, the next time we play chess, I'm going to beat you. And he said a lot with those words because he was saying that all that we had talked about had come to fruition. And he was clean and sober now. He was right with God. And now he could think clearly. And because of that, with his sharp mind, he could beat me. And I'm sure he could. It began with his mama kneeling humbly in prayer. Let's pray. Oh God, as we bow before you in this tumultuous and chaotic time, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and hearts to feel. Give us eyes to see the need. Give us hearts that will be moved with compassion when we see the need. Give us faith in you to anticipate a harvest that's impossible with us, but so possible with you. And move us to pray. And we do pray now, Lord, send out workers into the field. This we pray in Jesus' name. Now, as I've been talking, some of you may realize that you have been like sheep without a shepherd. You've been trying to handle things all on your own. You're just bouncing around. You've been trying to take care of things on your own, and you've just been harassed on every side, and you realize that you have never come into the Lord's fold. Well, let me tell you, he has opened the door so wide for you that he says, I am the door. He says, anybody who enters through me will be saved. And he's speaking to you today. And he invites you to come and to enter into his fold and to be a part of his flock, to be freed from the thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. If that's you, if you're tired of, of all the different things that the thief has been doing to you and you want the good shepherd on your side, I encourage you right now to just open up your heart and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't come to you before now. But now I give myself to you. Come into my life and help me to be the person you created me to be and that I've deeply longed to be my whole life. I realize it's impossible for me to bring this about on my own now, but you can do it. And so I give myself to you. Amen. Now let me pray for you. Lord, anybody that just prayed that prayer, 
I pray, Lord, that you would fulfill your promise, that you would love them, that you would come and make your abode in them along with your heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, and that you would fill them with your Spirit and empower them to be your child, a new creature, a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being with us, and we'll see you next week.